guys. Welcome back to our teaching. Uh, today we start a new series in 1 Peter. And since there's nothing new to do as a review, we're going to just go ahead and get started in 1 Peter. Remember, the idea of 1 Peter is dealing with Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad, uh, teaching, or should I even say, encouraging them to live obediently and to live a holy life in an unholy world, knowing that they will undergo persecutions. Okay, so with all of that, let's just simply get into 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Okay, now when we look at this, and this is based on what we have as a salutary, remember this is an epistle of Peter. Epistle is simply a letter. And in this letter, we have a salutation of Peter. And in this salutation, we have number one, Peter identifies himself. This is self-identification. The writer of the letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what we understand, Peter identifies himself. Peter, we come from the name of, it's the Greek name for Cephas, the name that Jesus gave to Peter. And he identifies himself as an apostle. And this gives the authority that Peter has in the things that he is about to say. One who is an overseer of the Jewish Christians, or we can even say an overseer, overseer, a bishop, or even as Peter would say later on in this epistles, I think it's chapter five, referring to himself as a shepherd, likewise, a shepherd like unto other elders in the church. But the idea is Peter is an apostle, one who has the authority given to him by Jesus Christ to speak, to write, to instruct, to command the things that he commands, especially, or should we even say, the things particularly in this epistle. So Peter is the author of this letter, and he sends it to those who are, notice he says, those who are aliens or sojourners in um, Pontus, Galatians, Cappadocia, and things of that nature. So this is a reference to the Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad because of the persecution that took place under Stephen, uh, uh, took place because of the incident with Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and also Acts chapter 8, we see that too, that persecution that came upon Jewish Christians, and even we see this extending even greater in Acts chapter 8 with the killing of James, the apostle, okay? So, what it's dealing with, the Christians, these are Jewish Christians. You have to remember. Now, let me say this too. Let me say this too. Even though these are Jewish Christians who are the recipients of this letter of Peter, there is an application, the applications of principles that can be made for all Christians, whether you are Jew, Jewish Christians, or whether you are a Gentile Christian, there are applications that can be made for all of God's people. Okay, but nevertheless, the letter was written particularly 
to Jews, Jewish believers in Christ Jesus, who had been scattered because of the persecution, such persecution that we can see in Acts chapter 7 and 8, as well as in Acts chapter 12, Jewish persecution or Jewish Christian persecutions, okay? And then he begins to talk to them about in verse number two. Now, the heading that we have, this salutation that Peter is giving them, is quite thick. And so we need to need to give a little time in uh, in un, enveloping, or should I say de-enveloping, that's the idea, <laughs> unfolding of what Peter is saying in this particular salutation. Notice, as he speaks to them, these Jewish Christians who have been scattered because of persecution, he calls them at the end of verse number one, chosen. Now, the reason why this is important is because it highlights or it gives emphasis, you bring it together, with the remainder of how Peter refers to them. Now, there's a certain principle that I'm going to talk about, but what I'm trying to show you guys is how the word chosen then in verse number two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I'm trying to show you how those particular uh, uh, ideas come into, come into play. So how does he refer to them? He refers to them as the chosen ones of God, the elect of God. Now, what you always have to remember, and this is so important in understanding our salvation. Now, Peter's going to talk about our salvation a lot, and you're going to have to be careful with how you understand Peter's usage of salvation, but I'm not going to go to that right now. Let's just talk about how he is dealing with the term election here, those who are the elect of God. Those who are elect of God, first of all, election pertains to salvation. It speaks that speaks to the point or the fact that an individual is saved. But how is such an individual saved? You are saved by the election of God. Election literally means the calling of God. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of preaching about this particular concept, but understand we are not saved because of works. We are not saved because we chose God. And when I say we chose God, it, it is to dealing with the idea of, you, you've heard it said before, I've said it myself on a number of videos. A person would say, I got tired of living the sinful life that I lived. Or somebody preached the gospel and then I decided to choose Jesus for myself. I understand how these things can be involved in your salvation. However, they are not the reason for your salvation. The reason for anyone's salvation is, is always because they were called by God. Election is a thing that is done, election, which is salvation, by the sovereign will of God alone. And this is taught throughout all scriptures. Okay. But now let's focus back on first Peter. So let's see how far we can actually get in first, first Peter chapter one. But again, notice how he refers to these Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad in all parts of Asia Minor. He calls them chosen of God. Those who are elect of God too, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. Now, this word foreknowledge of God, foreknowledge is prognosine, 
prognosine. That's the Greek word that is used here. And it's, this word is only used twice. It's used here in First Peter. And again, it is used in Acts chapter 2 when talking about the predetermination for Jesus's life. That is how Jesus would be crucified and resurrected from the dead. Okay. But, and this all being the predetermined plan of God. And this is why I'm emphasizing this. The word prognosine is not simply talking about the knowledge of God, how God has knowledge of all things. And remember, let's stay in context. Those who are the elect of God. The word has a stronger usage as is, as is identified in Acts chapter 2. Not just simply knowing things beforehand, but it is used in the causative sense. That is, this is a predetermined work of God. So we can see the melding together of these two concepts or these two ideas. What? Chosen that is, by the sovereign election of God, you have been chosen by God and then even prognosine what? According to the foreknowledge of God, that predetermined will of God. So what Peter is saying to his audience is, you are called unto salvation to have faith in Jesus Christ by the sovereign will of God. It was God's will to save you and it was God's predetermination to save you. So it is the full and complete work of God to save you. And that's what Peter is saying to these Jews who have been scattered abroad. Now, the principle that we get, and if you guys have been following me in my teachings, you know that we just finished uh, the Gospel of John, and this was a primary theme or primary principle that we saw in the gospel of John, election, those who are chosen of God. We saw that in John chapter one. We saw that again in John chapter six, and it was, uh, it was emphasized very much so in John chapter six. No one can come unto me except my father should call them. Okay. So election is according to the sovereign will of God. And here we have this. And when I say election, salvation, the reason why you are saved. Okay. But anyway, let's move on. According to the foreknowledge of God, their salvation is because God has chosen them unto this. And notice, and how is this done? By the sanctifying work of the spirit, by the, by the, in other words, it is through the operation of the spirit to set them apart for such salvation. The Spirit himself sets us apart for salvation. What? To what purpose or to what end? Why has God saved? Why has the Spirit, why has the Spirit set us apart for this salvation? And the rest of it is a purposeful clause. To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So why has God set us apart for this salvation? And Peter simply says here, for obedience. And this becomes, this idea sets forth a, 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 a pre-emphasis of Peter's primary theme in this letter, which is obedience. And isn't it interesting how Peter opens up his letter? God has sovereignly chose certain ones 
to salvation. And those whom he chose unto salvation, he did this by his Holy Spirit. And why has he, why has he done this? So that they would be obedient to Christ Jesus. And the idea that's going to be emphasized even later is obedient to Christ Jesus in a persecuting and unbelieving world. So this is this is his emphasis. And then notice he says, uh, grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now we understand the grace and the peace basically in the Jewish sense would simply be shalom, that grace and peace, that greeting that we have. But also too, you can't miss the idea of the fullest measure, peace in the fullest measure. Now, as we look at the letter of first Peter as a whole, what we're going to see is the difficulties that these Christians are facing, the testing and the trials of their faith that they will be testing and the persecution that will be coming upon these Christians. But notice in the midst of all of their hardships and difficulties, what does he say? Grace, the grace of God and what? Peace but peace in the fullest measure, peace that overcomes all of the difficulties that you may be facing in this life, peace that you can have in all of the difficulties of the trials and persecutions that you are suffering in this life. The peace of God, even the peace of Christ. Remember what Jesus says? My peace I give unto you, not like the world gives peace, but my peace and the peace and the joy of Jesus, the world cannot overcome it nor take it away. But anyway, so we have the salutation that Peter gives to his people, to those Jewish Christians scattered abroad, making them to know that they are the elect ones of God and making them look forward to that great peace peace that they have now, and even the fullest peace that they will have in the fullness of time. But we'll talk about all of that, even as it relates to salvation. Okay, but I don't want to say too much and get you confused. All right, so now we have our salutations. Peter, Jewish Christians scattered abroad, okay? And we see that emphasis in their election and Peter with the blessing of peace. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved, for, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so now Peter continues in the opening of his letter, and he opens his letter with a blessing, and the blessing is to God. And now, okay, there is a lot of, I wouldn't say difficulty, but the language here is thick. So allow me simply to look at each verse one at a time and explain each verse one at a time, number one, so I don't miss anything, and so that we can get the full understanding of what Peter is trying to say. So again, he opens the let the heading of his letter, we had a salutation. Now he continues on with the heading. 
of the body of his letter, and he blesses God. He refers to God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice the, the reference to God is God, and that is the deity of God, all blessings to God, for all things are unto God. And this, so he calls God the Father of Jesus. Okay, he is both the God and Father of Jesus. So that is the heading. Then he says, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then always remember, whenever you see these titles, it is, especially the titles with respect to Jesus, uh, you have to unpack those titles to understand what Peter is trying to say. So notice he references God, and then he references who is the God and Father of Jesus, but he also references Jesus, and he calls him what? Lord Jesus Christ. The titles that are to be understood, that are to be noticed here is for Jesus, Lord and Christ. The title of Jesus as Lord, Kurios, is always a title to deity. So not only does Peter uh, reference the deity of God, the Father, God, of course, he also references the deity of Jesus himself when he calls him Kurios or Lord. And then he also calls him what? Christ. And in this reference, he called, this is simply Messiah or anointed one. And as Messiah and anointed one, this always has reference to one who has come in bodily form, in the flesh. So Peter recognizes the two aspects of the person of Jesus, that he is both what? God, by calling him Lord, and man, by calling him Christ, the Messiah, for the Messiah is a man, okay? So let's continue. Who, according to his great mercy, that is God, the mercy of God, has caused us to be born again. Notice again, the reference here goes all the way back to what? Chosen and prognosine. Remember the whole idea of chosen and foreknowledge? That is Salvation is due to the work of God. It is God who has set a person, an individual apart unto salvation. You are not saved according to your own choosing. God has done this in eternity past. Notice that reference back again in verse number three. God, because of his mercy, Notice, not because we are worthy of anything, not because we have done anything, but, but what we are worthy of, what did Paul say about sin? And we have all sinned and are continually falling short of the grace of God. We have done that and we do that. And again, what does Paul say in the book of Romans? And such wages, the wages for sin is death. But instead of God giving us what we deserve, death for our sins, notice what Peter is saying. God has given us, chosen us, elected us for mercy, for salvation, for salvation because of his mercy. He's not giving us what we deserve, but he is having mercy upon those whom he chooses and granting them election, granting them salvation. That's what it means by God has caused us to be born again. See it? Notice 
It is not we have chosen to be born again or we have put ourselves into some type of participation to be born again. No, all of these things are done by God who has caused these things. He has caused us to be born again and, and specifically to those Jewish Christians. Even though you keep, keep hearing me say us, okay, I'm using, all I'm doing is I am taking uh, from the text and, and giving a practical, practical understanding, interpretation, how it applies to us today. But remember, Peter is speaking to those Jewish Christians. All right. So we don't want to lose exegesis. In other words, always remember, first, you must exegete. Exegete means look at the text and from the text, determine what God is trying to say in the text, by what the text says, who the author is, the time to whom the author is speaking to, exegete the text. And then from exegesis, you can have practical application. Then you can teach and preach how it can deal with the readers and the listeners in your time. Okay. So I, I you see me kind of do a lot of dealing with the readers in our time, like me talking to you, but just keep in mind, this is Peter talking to those Jewish Christians. I'm just simply extrapolating from this and how it applies to us. But anyway, again, cause to be born again. Election is of the Lord. That salvation experience comes because God has chosen you to go through such an experience, to be a part of the body of Christ. A living hope. Now, no, this is now notice something too. A living hope. What is important about the idea of living hope when we understand the whole epistle of Peter? Remember what I've been telling you, as we'll see what is happening. These Christians have been scattered because of persecution, and even in their persecution from the Jews in their in uh, Jerusalem and Judea. Even in their persecution there, they will continue to experience persecution in the Gentile world as well. But even though you have all of this persecution, you still have hope. Do not lose hope. So the idea of having hope in the midst of persecution. But, but notice, what kind of hope? It is a living hope. Why do you have hope? Why do you have hope? And why do you have, notice, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? So what is he saying? He is saying by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, notice, let's put it together. When Jesus died, what was the, the sense of the people, of Jesus' disciples? What was the sense? All hope was lost. What was the feeling? It was a feeling of great sadness because they had this great expectation in whom Jesus was. He was the Messiah. And what Jesus would do, he would restore Israel. They had all of this hope. But when Jesus was crucified, all that hope for the disciples at that time was lost. But what happened? Three days later, God resurrected Jesus from the dead and in his resurrection from the Jesus, it was a symbol of life and it was a symbol of hope to come. So therefore, 
Peter is saying to them, I am also saying to you, even in the midst of all of the suffering and persecution that you can undergo in this world, we still have a present tense living hope. Why? As Jesus lives, we shall live. So that hope is in the now. And as we'll see later on in the letter of Peter, that hope is also in the future. So we are never overcome by grief because of the things that we suffer in this world. And as we look at things, and even as I'm making this video of what is it, June 2023, thing in the, in the, in the country of America, it seems to be unraveling. And let me talk about this. Because one of the reasons why I chose to do the letter of first, first Peter is because of the practical application. What do I mean? One of the primary reasons, the things or uh, uh, things that we see involved in the letter of first Peter, Peter is saying how you need to live in a persecuting world. When we look at our country, June 2023, and this is what people call now gay pride months, dealing with the LGBTQ plus and all of that foolishness that will get you sent to hell. And as the apostle Paul said, let me digress. And as the apostle Paul said these words, let no man deceive you. Those who practice such things shall not shall absolutely not inherit the kingdom of God. But even so, in America, we see the oppressiveness that's coming from the people around us. We see the oppressiveness that's coming from the government to try to mandate what people can say. Really, the whole idea is they're trying to control your thought. They're not just simply trying to control your speech. They're trying to control how you think and never let anybody control how you think except the word of God. As Christians, it is the spirit of God. It is the written as our Peter. Peter literally says it. It is the written word of God that's, that speaks for us. It controls how we think. So in this world that we're living in, in this very country that we're living in, we see oppressiveness coming for Christians. You can talk about any other group and it's all, it's all good. But when you start dealing with Christians, they hate us. The world hates us. They hate what we stand for. They hate what we believe. You see all this type of food, what is it, the dodges with this thing with these so-called gay men uh, doing all of these ugly things on the cross. It is just oppressive. They want to silence us, hurt us, persecute us. They want to take away our livelihood. But anyway, so the reason why I chose first Peter in the first place is because of the oppressive nature of what's going on with things around us towards Christian people. And even though Christian people are being oppressed and it's going to get, and let me tell you something, guys, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you want to see the true oppression of people, look at, uh, I did a teaching on the full book of Revelation. You wait till we get to that time in Revelation. Persecution will be on then. That's when people will literally die. Christians will be put to death 
for their belief. Remember what John said, I believe it's in Revelation chapter six. And John said, I looked, he was, he was looking at a vision in heaven at the altar. That is the altar of incense where prayers are being offered up. And he said, I saw a number that no man could number. You have to understand what he is saying. A number that no man could number. That means it was a huge amount of numbers. And John said, he looked at that number and marveled. And so the question was, who are these people and where did they come from? And then comes the angel with the answer. These are they who come through, who come out of great tribulation and they have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. And therefore they are before the presence of God day and night. The point that I'm making here is the number of people who were dead, because if you're in heaven, you are dead. And they were persecuted to the point of death. And there were so many people who were killed. John said he couldn't even number that number. And why were they killed? They had washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. They were killed for their witness and belief and faith in Jesus. So if you think that we, the Christianity, and true believers in Christ Jesus are being persecuted today. You ain't seen nothing yet. And again, this just simply goes back to my point in dealing with the study of first Peter suffering and persecution will come. But how should we as Christian believers live? And what Peter here, going back to the text now, what Peter here is talking about is that living hope that they have. Why? Jesus did not remain dead, but Jesus rose from the dead. And this gives us joy and this gives us hope. Why? Because although we suffer these things now, we may even suffer to the point of death. What did the Lord Jesus say? Be thou faithful even unto death. And then what? Even after the notice unto what death, death, but death is not a finality. He says what? And I will give you a crown of life. Do you see how that, that, that juxtaposes death juxtaposes over against life, death momentary in time, crown of life for all eternity. So therefore this is the foundation for our living hope. We rejoice because even though we are persecuted and we will stand that persecution and we still hold to the gospel, we hold to the doctrines of God, to the doctrines of holiness, to the teachings of scripture, even in the midst of persecution and rejection in an ungodly world, that's all right. Because what? One day we will be justified in the presence of God with life, the crown of life. But anyway, so that's what Peter is trying to say. All right, let me go back because I got knocked off of my English text and knocked into my Greek text. All right. So where was I? Where was I? Verse number four. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. So what is he saying? 
about this living hope. And this living hope is nothing more than Peter speaking of salvation. And he's going to talk more so about this salvation that we have. And what? This salvation he calls what? An inheritance. And notice how he describes this salvation, this living hope. It is imperishable. It is undefiled and will not fade away. That which we have can never be taken away. It can never be destroyed. And see, what it, see in all of this, you see how it speaks to not only that of the hope that we have of salvation in Christ Jesus because of Christ Jesus, but even how it builds, it builds the words that Peter is saying, it builds our hope. Tell me about that which awaits us. Tell me not only just simply life. Notice what he says, that salvation, that inheritance that awaits us. It is imperishable. Nothing can take it away. It is undefiled. It is pure in the sight of God, in the presence of God. It will not fade away. In all of these descriptors, Peter is simply saying that which we have, that hope, uh, that hope of salvation. And I'll talk about salvation. You got to understand how Peter uses salvation. As a matter of fact, since I'm here, I just explain it now. You have to be careful, always in context. What did I say? Always in context. How Peter used the term salvation. Salvation could be when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is, I believe that Jesus is God, God who has come in the flesh, that he is Christ the Messiah who died for my sins and his righteousness is imputed unto me. And this Jesus who died for my sin has risen from the dead. I believe this is salvation and by this you are saved, okay? But Peter also uses salvation in the sense of, in a cumulative sense, the cumulative sense dealing with a salvation in this life salvation in this life that points ultimately to when Jesus returns. The, the fullness of salvation that Jesus's people will receive when he returns. So Peter deals with salvation in two basic ways. Salvation of faith, believe in Jesus Christ, that grants eternal life. You are saved. And that salvation that culminates when Jesus himself returns and we receive all that God has said we will get. All right. But now let's go back to the verse. So all he is saying in verse number four is dealing with the, the essence of that salvation, the enduring nature of that salvation over against the difficulty that we uh, have in this world. You know, or let me say it this way. Weeping will endure for what? a night, but joy comes in the morning. So the difficulties and the persecutions that these Jewish Christians, even we, are suffering in this life is only but a moment. But what? There is something that awaits us on the other side. This is that faith and hope that Peter was talking about. This is that salvation that endures. It is what? It is not perishable. It is what? Pure and undefiled. And what? How long does it last? Forever. It does not fade away. And notice what he says, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I like this word reserved. So let, let me calm down. 
And I was thinking that I was probably get through uh, First Peter, but that's insane. There's no way I'm going to get through First Peter in one video and teach it like I want to teach it to you guys. So however far we get, we get. So I guess we'll do maybe 30 minutes or so in this video so that we can be uh, covered really good. But the word that he used for reserved in heaven for you, that term is like is somewhat of a military term. It is used in the sense of a soldier guarding his prisoner, a soldier guarding his prisoner. So what's important about that? This salvation, this hope, all of these precious things that God has for the believer, for his people, and remember, hold background, even though his people are suffering, such sufferings in this world, don't you worry about it. Why? Because that which God has for his people, this hope of life eternal that he had, this all because of what? Jesus Christ, what he has done, this hope that he has, God himself is guarding it like a soldier guards his prisoner so that nothing will happen to what God has for his people. And it kind of takes us back to the idea of the blessedness that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter eight, in what? Neither height nor depth, neither principality, things present, nor things to come. What? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In the same vein, what Peter is saying, according to God's word, God's inheritance for us, this is being guarded. God is guarding our eternal joy in heaven to be, reve to be revealed at the last day, reserved in heaven for you. Now, let me make a point on this one. Reserved when and reserved where? In heaven for you. So once again, we have a juxtaposition. What? In this life, and this is something that we, we need to see. And not only, and when I say see, I don't mean not to just not only understand, because first comes the understanding. But we also need to, by the Spirit of God, that is by the grace of God, allow this to really saturate into our hearts. It's, it's normal. Nobody wants to suffer and nobody wants to go through difficult times in this world. You wait, Peter's going to talk about that too, okay? Because suffering is a part of life. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Except you suffer, you cannot reign, okay? Nobody wants to suffer in this life. But nevertheless, we have to arm ourselves and we have to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake, whatever the suffering may be, always remember, and then listen, listen, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe that God is almighty? Do you believe that God is all sovereign? God has all power and God directs all things. Okay. Do you believe that you are God's child? Then always know what? There is nothing that comes upon you that is not allowed by God himself. God allows us to suffer. And Peter's going to talk about that even in chapter one. God allows us to suffer. So therefore, you have to understand. You, 
You have to turn off Joel Osteen. You need to turn off T.D. Jakes. Everything that happens to the believer in this world does not bring health, wealth, and prosperity. Even God himself allows the believer to suffer. And that suffering brings about something in the behavior of the believer that God himself approves. I'm not there yet, but I want to simply say that. But anyway, let me go back to the text. Uh, 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 reserved in heaven for you. In other words, the idea is ultimately our inheritance is not in this world. All of the beauty and the wonders that God has for the believer is not in this world. This is not about Joel Osteen in living your best life now. That is enjoying the world and the fullness thereof. That's not what we're here to do. And even as I've been teaching you guys so far, the very context of Peter's letter is going to be about suffering, temptations, and persecution. It ain't about what we have now. It's about what God has. What did Peter just say? reserved in heaven for you. And what has been the context thus far? All of the glory of this life, this imperishable life, this life that God has guarded for us. So all I'm simply saying is here, as Peter is saying, temptations and persecutions come, all things that are good for the believer await him in the next life, reserved for heaven in him. Five, um, who are protected. Oh, I just deal with it. I kind of went back then. Who are protected, that is, guarded uh, like the soldier by the power of God. Notice, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, let me bring all of it together. So this great hope that we have is guarded by God himself. That's what it means. Protected, guarded by God, protected by the power of God. What can God do? All things. What do you have to worry about? Even though we're suffering in this life, what do we have to worry about? Can you be assured of the grace that God has spoken to you, of the life that God has spoken to you, of the blessedness that God has spoken to you in the future? Can you be assured of that? Doggone right, because God is protecting that by his power and God can do what? All doggone things. And notice this salvation, what about it? Salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, Peter is moving our minds and our thoughts, not to the present time in which we are suffering or even to those particular Christians are suffering, but Peter is moving them forward to the hope of the future of a salvation that be that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus. Okay? All right. You know what, guys? All right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop right there. All right. Anyway, right? So what we have, we basically have salutation thus far, and Peter introduces, opens the letter. He introduces himself as the apostle with the authority to say the things that he is about to say, to give such instructions that he is about to give. And then he speaks to those, the recipients of the letter. He tells them certain things about themselves. Principal thing, you have been chosen 
by God from eternity past. We see that in his terminology as calling them what? The elect of God and what? The for according to the foreknowledge. Remember the word prognosis? That is, and the word stronger than simply foreknowledge, but dealing with the sense of predetermination. He identifies the recipients of his reader. And then he opens it up with praise and thanksgiving in the letter, that blessed be God. And he talks about, and note it, you can see it in the back of his mind as he's talking about the difficulty that they are enduring, starting even from what? They're being scattered all over the, all over the world in the first place. And even in their persecution and all of the difficulties that they are enduring, he opens up and says, what? It don't matter. Thank the Lord. Bless the Lord. Why? Because even in all of the difficulties that we are going through, we have a living hope. Well, how do you know? How, why should I bless God in all of the difficulties that I'm going through? And, and what is the proof of me having this living hope, such a living hope of what? A future blessedness with God, a future eternity with God, a future life with God that is forever, that is pure, that cannot be taken. Why should I do all of this shouting and have all of this hope? He says, because of the resurrection of Jesus. What do you mean because of the resurrection of Jesus? He said, at one time, there was no hope when they saw Jesus died and on that cross and in that cave, there was no hope. But guess what happened? He didn't remain dead. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection from the dead, they understood they too have hope. And Peter is saying, what? Even to you, even in your experiences in this life and the turpitudes and all of the difficulties that you have in a godless and unbelieving world, you too have hope because God is protecting that hope and God himself will make sure in the last day at the coming of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he will give you the life that he has promised. And so what you're going to see as the rest of 1 Peter continues to uh, 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 de-envelop, as the rest of the people unvelop or whatever, but as the rest of the letter continues, Peter's going to say, therefore, live right. Live in a way that pleases God so that when Jesus does appear to give you this reward, you can be unashamed. You can be ready for the appearance of Jesus. All right. So anyway, let me stop there as we've dealt with our salutation and our heading that lays that is laying the foundation for the letter of Peter, which is practical living in an ungodly world. All right. All right, guys, if you've enjoyed these messages and you can say that God has blessed your heart through these teachings, I'm asking you to come, come alongside of this ministry and support this ministry. There is always a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. And for those of you who have supported the ministry, and sometimes I want to call your name, but that wouldn't be good. You know, what did Jesus say about the giving? Let your right, don't let your uh, left hand know what your right hand is doing. And the whole idea of that was to give in secrecy. But there are times when I want to really say to those who give, thank you so much. But just let me just simply say in a simple way, 
Thank you for all that you do. All right. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining me in this teaching in First Peter. I cannot wait for us to continue in this. So join me next time as we continue on First Peter chapter one. See you next time.